0: you know what it is partner you got an attitude problem oh i got an attitude yes. problem and i'm not the only one who's noticed it man break out your dancing shoes as phil's Strip reviews the two footloose films the 1984 original and the 2011 remake our judges for this competition are anna
1: i used to get such a kick out of watching you work up your sons
0: and jay
1: he is testing
0: this podcast episode will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and details of the film.
1: I mean, we're not living in that middle ages. We got TV. We got family. TV. We're not stuck with the thing right here.
0: Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Anna. And this is our review of the 2011 version of Footloose, starring Kenny Warmore, Julianne Huff, Andy McDowell, Miles Teller, and Dennis Quaid, directed by Craig Brewer, on a budget of $24 million, grossed over $62 million at the box office. Now, Anna, I'm, I was really interested to get to this one and talk about it because... You gotta go back to two thousand and eight because that's when they started talking about doing a remake of Footloose. And originally attached to this was Kenny Ortega, the guy behind high school musical. And you know, they were going to have Zac Efron play Ren McCormick. And, you know, uh, several of the High School Musical folks were slated to, at one time or another, take a pass through this. And so as our resident uh, Disney expert, it, you know, I knew that would appeal somewhere to you because I'm sure you've seen those films.
2: Um, Actually, I've not seen High School
0: Musical. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I finally found a Disney movie you haven't seen. I <laughs> know. <Hey>, <hey. laughs>
2: Well, I, actually, um, my daughters do have them on their iPads, and okay. they, lo- they love they them, mm-hmm. but um, I have been meaning to watch the first one, because I heard after the first one, it kind of spirals a little bit out of control.
0: Adds with so, a lot of sequels, yes.
2: So, um, I have seen the, um, I have heard in my peripheral hearing, if there's such a thing, or as kind of background noise, I've heard bits and pieces of all the high school musicals, but I have not paid attention to enough or heard enough or seen enough of it to actually put it together as a whole movie and a whole
0: plot. Yeah, you not not to do a review of those real quick. I think the first one does have a, a, a cuteness to it that's fun to watch. The, the sequels, the, uh, not so much. But again, they're not made for my age range, so I'm not supposed to like them. I, it was one of those things like they were all on in a marathon at the holidays. This was several years ago, and I ended up just saying, you know what, I want to see what the deal is. And I sat and watched them, and I was like, yeah, you know what, that first one wasn't so bad. So
2: on a funny note that i had a co-worker and he's like in his he uh, he's in his mid-20s and um he said one time when he was in college he had broken or sprained his leg or ankle and his friends left without him and he could <laughs> and they had they had put the remote like far where he could reach it with his hand and he couldn't get up and walk so he was forced to watch high <laughs> music And he said the same thing he did. He said, the first one's kind of cute. And I was like, it's not that bad. And then he said, I I was in complete and utter hell by the
0: third one. Uh, I, I've actually never seen the there one. The, the second one was enough for me to go, okay, I'm done. But uh, <laughs> yeah, not to review too much of this. Of course, that that fell apart because Zach Efron decided he wanted to do other things and Kenny Ortega wanted to do other things and so on and so and it, forth. I
2: thought it was the budget too. That it
0: was also. Kenny Ortega
2: wanted a higher budget. Yeah,
0: they, they wanted way more money than they were ever going to give them for this. And so ultimately they wound up with Craig Brewer doing it. And the thing that's interesting about this is Brewer apparently is a major fan of the original, and he's best known probably for "Hustle and Flow" from 2005. I don't know if you ever saw that or not. It's really <laughs> the only thing Terrence Howard ever did that I think's good. I mean, I, it's it's a good little small film, but, uh, you know, he's done the music thing and the coming of age story. And that though, that's a very different tale than footloose. Uh, you know, there's nothing like it's hard out here for a pimp, you know, compared to let's, <laughs> let's get footloose, you know, it's not the same kind of stuff, but he's done some good directing, but he was a big fan of the original so much. So that <clears throat> when he brought in screenwriters and stuff, he insisted that not only did they follow the Dean Pitchford original, but they actually consulted, with him on parts of it, so the original screenwriter still had a hand in sort of this re-envisioning of his tale, and that's a rare thing. Most of the time, when these remakes and, and or reboots, whatever you want to call them, the modern telling of something you know from the '80s or '70s or whatever, the, the original creators have nothing to do with it, other than they say, "Yeah, go ahead, good luck." This one uh, it stands alone or stands out in the fact that the they were at least the original. Ryder was somewhat involved with this. Now they did ask Kevin Bacon if he wanted to do a cameo and, and then several of the other stars apparently, and they just couldn't ever get it together. But Bacon was reluctant about it at the time. He said, ah, go ahead and do it. I'm fine with it. You know, but I'm not really, you know, I don't really want to be a part of it necessarily, but uh, he, you know, like I said last time he's somewhat softened on footloose through the years and, and coming to appreciate it for what it was. But, uh, I'm real interested to see how this one works for you though, because you didn't care for that last one. And no. yeah, this one is, is more the modern telling and moreover it's shot in and around where you live and work. So I'm, <laughs> if nothing more, I'm curious to see if you'd recognize some of the places.
2: Oh, oh I recognized a lot of places.
0: Very cool. We'll have to get into that for sure. But now I kept up with this because I knew they were going to do it. Or I had heard they were going to do a remake of it, being a fan of the original. So when it came out, I went and saw it. So I, I wanted to see it and, you know, we'll get into what I thought about it as we go through because I've only seen it once again since that first viewing and it was for this podcast. So um, we'll we'll talk about that as we go through it. But and I think uh, this time, since it's the modern redo, why don't you give us the plot summary and tell us what happens in Footloose 2011?
2: OK. Following a big win over Rival Basin, the kids of Beaumont, including Bobby Moore, son of a local preacher, go out for a night of youthful excess. While driving back home, he and his four friends are killed in a car crash and the town spirals into a time of mourning. In the three years since, they successfully put handcuffs on the teens' activities, monitoring their every move with curfews, parent-attended functions, and forced morality. Rand McCormick, a hardworking kid from Boston, moves to Beaumont to live with his aunt and uncle after serving as a caretaker for his mother who died of leukemia. Ren's Yankee sarcasm doesn't mesh well with more, with more locals though. He makes a couple of friends in the goofy Willard and Jock Woody. He catches the eye of Ariel Moore the reverend's rebellious daughter who dates a local dirt track racer, dresses provocatively and even dances when she knows she's not supposed to. Rand beats Chuck in a race with buses, and he and Ariel grow closer. He takes Woody, his girl, Rusty, and Ariel to an Atlanta bar for dancing, and on the way back, here's Ariel confess that she admired her brother greatly, and no one really knows how hard it has been on her. After Chuck and Ariel fight, where he hits her, she goes to her father and mother for comfort, but finds more righteous indignation and is even slapped by the Reverend, who blames all of this on McCormick, though he barely knows the kid. Wren and Moore eventually talk, leading to a reconciliation for he and his daughter. Even though he can't change the town council's ruling about a non-parent attended dance, Moore allows Wren to take Ariel to a dance in nearby Basin. After a final round with Chuck outside, Ren and Ariel get the party started, and Beaumont Senior Class dances the
0: night away as the credits roll. So pretty much the same thing as last time. I think that's the thing that surprised me when I saw it as it came out and then even watching it again is how much of that original story they keep intact here. Generally, they change tons of things, but there's a lot of it still in place.
2: Well, the original story is in place. What I... I found surprising about, well, not real. I don't know if I call it surprising, but one thing I was pleasantly surprised about was they reconfigured the original story where the the script kind of made a lot more sense. I liked, I liked that they told the story of the, um, of the, car crash first mm-hmm. and showed that first versus going through the middle of the movie. And then, Oh yeah, by the way, all these kids died in a car crash. That's why we can't dance and sing.
0: Right. And I mean, so, you know, you know there, that was a conversation that kind of got dropped in the lunchroom last time. I love that they start with that this time. I'm, I'm with you. They, you know, they have the, the footloose song going and they got the kids partying and I thought, okay, this is smart. Let's start with the thing that would send a town like this on this sort of uh, moral spiral, you know, to, to lock down their children, you know, what would it take in modern day? Cause this is supposed to be in the two thousands yes. for something like this to happen in small town. You know, this is set in Georgia this time instead of Texas. So
2: yeah. Oh, don't get me started on that. There's no <laughs> town in Georgia named Beaumont.
0: Well, no, no, but that is, that was a choice by, the, no. by the creators All this right. time because they said that, Texas well the, the, what i have read is that one tech in the middle of nowhere Texas um had w- had a um, a different kind of sheen to it in the 1980s they felt like that had been done to you know to death with friday night lights and so many other different kinds of films set out there that they wanted mm-hmm. to do something else and the only place that any of them could think of where a town would react morally the way that they do is <laughs> is the south and that's just the stereotype so I was right. okay with it because I know towns in the southeast that that I could buy this from. So, that oh was,
2: oh, uh, I could yeah. totally I could totally buy this from somewhere ar- around here.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, it's not a real place, but they they moved that location because. But
2: in- I'm just saying they should have changed the name from something like you would see mm-hmm. in Alabama or Georgia or or the Carolinas or something like that because Beaumont's not a typical. Name that you would see. And
0: yeah, th- that- I- I'm glad. You, I'm glad you brought that up because there is a slavish attention to small details in that first script and film that make appearances here, and I don't know if it's always for the best. We'll talk about some of them as they come up in our discussion here. But it's, I'm glad you pointed that out too, because it's not the first time we're going to bump into something like that. But I th- before we get into the movie proper, I do want to talk about what they've updated with the characters, because they have certainly changed a good bit of the dynamic of these. First off, the the changes with Ren, I really like. I like the fact that he was a hardworking kid. He wasn't just a smart aleck. He was a hardworking kid who had taken care of his mother while she was dying. Father was out of the picture and he moved in with an aunt and uncle. And this wasn't an aunt and uncle that were going to be uh, antagonists to him. The way that the first ones were. They weren't going to question everything he did is wrong. I like the, the change in the family dynamic for Ren and then the uncle and such.
2: Well, I thought that was a really good plot move to have, the instead of the mother going with him and the father mm-hmm. dying, to have the dad be a deadbeat and both the parents be out of the picture. Right. And then kind of have the aunt and uncle as like a kind of a surrogate family. Yeah. And then I like the other thing I liked, and I pointed this out in the other podcast, is that nobody believed him. Nobody, not his parents nor his aunt and uncle in the first movie, sat him down. They just assumed that he was doing drugs and doing this and never, never sat him down and talked to him and said, Hey, but I like this that where they kind of had his back. Like Mm -hmm. he would, you know, he wouldn't do that. They're like, oh, who'd you hear this about drugs from? And then he kind of had more of a rapport with his uncle than he did in the first movie, which I thought was really re- was really good.
0: Oh, yeah, I loved it, too. And, and the guy that plays the uncle here, you've seen him, folks, yeah, and you, you in just... The
2: Blind Side.
0: Yeah, that's probably his most famous thing. But he's been in a lot of stuff. Ray McKinnon, and I, uh, Nick, and I talked about him at the beginning of The Stand. He was in that, too. So he's a character actor, been in a lot of stuff, often plays that kind of role. But... I liked him, I liked the aunt, I I liked the whole family dynamic, and that they, again, made them on his side. It's less against the kid and more with him, and that's more modern parenting, too. You know, the the modern parents will be more on the side of the kid than the school administrator or things like that, I, I think, at least from my experience, what I've seen, so... I think that's a nice update if you're going to try to relate something to the modern audience, which this is geared for the crowd that would have enjoyed something like High School Musical. You know, it's it's for that, that crowd.
1: It's um, for
2: that crowd that's outgrown High School Musical at this point,
0: right? But it's still not moving on mm-hmm. to you know Twelve Years a Slave or or House of Cards <laughs> or stuff like that, you know. So it's it's in that in between. So the, maybe you know uh, the one night the guy gets to go see the Avengers film, then he has to take the girl to see Footloose. I don't know, you know that that could be how that goes. Um, probably the most star. <laughs> <In> the- <coughs> oh, excuse me. I didn't get any on you, did I? Okay. No. Um, <laughs> probably the most stark change, I think, is in Ariel Moore, played by Julianne Huff here of Dancing with the Stars fame and somewhat limited country music fame and, and other things. Um, I got to say this. The thing about Lori Singer was she looked oh, like – Hold on. One,
2: hold okay. on. I'm sorry. Hold that thought, Jake. Okay. Abby, I'll get Teddy when I get done with this, okay? I promise. OK, I'm okay. sorry. Go no ahead. The,
0: the thing about Ariel last time that we both talked about was she was, you know, unconventional beauty, but a real tall, slender, you know, dancer looking. Lori Singer had a different kind of look to her, but a lot of times she would do things and read her lines and it would just be this dead delivery. And I I didn't totally go for her. Julian Huff has a different presence. She's kind of spunky. She has this sweetness to her, but she can also tease it up a little bit. And I well, like the, I, I like the fact that they gave Ariel instead of last time Ariel kind of was the town slut. That this time she just dresses provocatively. She's she's really being rebellious. She uh, the whole thing with the way, you know, when she sleeps with Chuck and stuff, it's not as in, in the first film, I got the idea that like that was a common occurrence on Sunday afternoons. We see it one time here and it, you know, it really comes to bug her and, and define her later on. I I liked the I guess the more reluctant choices they were making with the character here.
2: Well, the first thing I'm going to say is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, not not that she's a Meryl Streep or anything, but Julianne Huff is just a better actress, I think, Yeah. than, than Lori Singer. Another thing that you mentioned that kind of, you know how I mentioned in the last podcast, Lori Singer kind of had like a model's body. She was tall, slender, mm-hmm. you know, you know. Yeah I, and I don't mean this in a bad way but a lot of models are flat-chested so they can wear the clothes. Right. And I I think that Ju, the fact that Julianne Huff is a dancer and in turn has a dancer's like body I think <laughs> that really made her a little more believable than someone like than someone like Lori Singer. You well, know what well, I you well, know
0: Look, I'll, I'll be the guy and say it. She's prettier. Uh, Julianne Huff oh, is yeah. way better looking than lori singer and I, I you know i liked lori singer fine when i was a kid and stuff but julian huff is pretty and she's pretty oh, yeah. in a lot of different looks and i think you're right she's built a little different lori singer is tall i mean she's almost six feet tall by herself right. julian huff is probably five two at best you know so she she looks like a little spunky cheerleader dancer girl she you know she's built like she well or who she looks like in terms of height she's more of like sarah jessica parker's height and some of that same kind of flirty attitude, but but a totally different look and everything. I don't, I don't know. But, I, I like the way she looked though.
2: And I think the way the the wardrobe dressed her mm-hmm. and stuff, and her the way they did her hair and makeup. Yeah, I th- I, lo- I hate to say it, I loved her her hair in
1: this
0: I think she's naturally blonde or usually ghost mm-hmm. blonde that she, they went red with this and I, I like that too it's a different look but it also gives Ariel a different allure too she had that well, kind of dark red hair So,
2: well I love the way they styled it
0: they mm-hmm. styled
2: it in a way it just looks like really long really thick really, it was kind of uh, it was controlled it kind of was like <laughs> controlled chaos
0: I, yeah, you're right. Uh, I, yeah, I don't... And
2: so I thought that was a really good good move on them. And the way they dressed her, because they dressed her... Um, they didn't dress her... They dressed her provocative, not necessarily slutty.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know? Part of that is, look how much fashion has changed in the 20-some-odd years, 28 years it's been, since that first film came out. I mean... Uh, right. People... But, I mean, the young women today dress very differently than they did in 1982 and 83. It's just a
2: different look. I guess that goes back to my comment on the first one where I was like, why are they all wearing old lady shoes? Right. And then I do take into consideration if you were like 18 years old when this was probably made in 83. Right. And then released in the first one in 84. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, if you were like, if you, you were like graduating high school in nineteen eighty three. You'd be in like your late forties now.
0: Well, I mean, think, think early, about it. That would, that would mean you were, you were born in the sixties, you know, versus right. these kids who were all born in the nineties, you know, or the late eighties, yeah. early, you know. Which you know, go ahead and make me feel old. But I mean, <coughs> yeah, the whole fashion, everything looks different here, but. I'm with you too. I think Julianne Huff just plays her better. And she also plays Ariel. And we'll talk about this when we get into the, the plot. She plays her with a, a sense of, uh, how shall I say, like brokenness that I never got off Laurie Singer. I never got how upset Laurie Singer was that her brother died. You know, and in this, it's a much bigger deal. And I think also it's, I think we were led to believe in the last film that was something that had happened a while back. You know, in this one, it's what, like a year so it's yes, yeah, three years. So it's really not, you know, it's not. I got the sense that that had happened when Laurie Singer's Ariel was a like a a kid, kid versus a teenager, a younger teenager to being an older one now.
2: And I think that was a, a another good plot point. They kind of kind of took kind of learned from their mistakes in the first one, mm-hmm. and I think that that was a really good plot point to put a time frame on that. Yeah, And so, so, so we know that it's kind of fresh in their minds that the whole, whole town hasn't been doing this for 10, 10, 15 years.
0: Right. It's, this was something that they, you know, I got the sense that that town was just that way anyway. And the kids were rebelling, you know, Bobby and his friends. And then they, then they really put the clamps down. Whereas this town was just sort of going along doing whatever. And then this happened and, you know, the Reverend and, And his response to it is uh, much more fresh, I guess I'd say. And this is really the last character I wanted to touch back in with, because we'll talk about the rest of them as we go through it. But Reverend Moore here. Now I'll say this, the, the, uh, 83 version of this film loses in comparison to a lot of things, but one it does not is with the Reverend. I I like Dennis. Oh yeah, he's he's a good actor in in the right roles that he plays. When he's playing like a, he's always kind of a scoundrel. I think you know. He's. I had a friend that once described him as a dime store Harrison Ford. I think that's a pretty good way to describe it. But the the thing that he does not convey that John Lithgow did is sincerity. And I just don't buy any of the piety that he is uh, purveying in this film.
2: Well, I I don't know I don't know really how to put into words what was what was lacking for me in his performance. But like John Lithgow has played, you know, he has played a lot of characters where he's like just a total jerk or a total. Right a total psycho mm-hmm. and I mean like he's that little dude in the first Shrek that's mm-hmm. kidnapped who's trying to trick the pr- Fiona into marrying him right and stuff but he and De- Dennis Quaid really he's just too nice to I, I that's just <laughs> I my I thing you know what he's you, too nice it. for me to buy it
0: I've never seen Dennis Quaid play anything sinister and I think also Dennis Quaid always is sort of Dennis Quaid John Lithgow, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, can be a chameleon. He can play a lot of different kinds of roles and do that. And the difference is, the real difference is, when you watch Lithgow preach and do things, it it was like watching, I mean, I said it before, it was like watching a number of preachers I grew up around. He sounded just like him. It was amazing. Dennis Quaid (laughs) sounds like somebody wearing preacher's clothes, trying to emulate and and just read things off a card. It just, uh, his his performance uh, is weak.
2: Hey, it is. It's the week. That's. I don't know who I would have cast. Is mm-hmm. I can't think of who I would have cast instead of um, uh, uh just because you imagine Randy. his brother.
0: Oh no, Randy Quaid! Goodness, Ran-
2: Randy Quaid, cousin no Eddie, the preacher of God knows. So. <laughs>
0: Oh, that would have been so funny. That would have been would well be if it. they were going for for funny. I don't, you know, I don't know who who should have done it either. I'm with you. I I have a hard time coming up with a replacement. I mean, but I, they could have done better than this. This just isn't working. I'm
2: trying. I'm trying to think. Hold on. Just yep. give me one second. Let me. I'm just trying to think of who. Oh, I could see someone like, well, but they would never do it. Like Ray Fines.
0: Yeah, he would never do it, though. But um, he
2: would never do it. I'm trying to think of someone. Who, or, oh, my God, he might be desperate enough to do it, but he'd never do it. But I could totally see Edward Norton doing this.
0: Y- you know what? Yeah, but he would be a hard time believing he had a daughter Ariel's age because Edward Norton no, still no, looks no, like no. 10. <laughs> That's but I know, not, that's You know a, what? That, if they had gotten somebody like, and I'm just going to pick a name out of the hat since we're picking one, get somebody like Mark Ruffalo that can really act. You know, yeah. I mean, he would have been interesting. Anybody would have been interesting. And and Annie McDowell's fine as the new you know preacher's wife. I think the thing that's different here, and I don't know if they realized it in production or if they made the choice in the script because Errol was a stronger character. Wren had a different dynamic. He had more relations with his family or whatever. the The Reverend Moore character feels very truncated compared to last time. I don't think he gets nearly the screen time that Lithgow he got. Doesn't. And it and there's not nearly the subtext. Like, they had scenes of Lithgow with the town folk, you know, just setting up the kind of person he was. I never get any of that. Dennis Quaid plays this whole thing like he's angry and pissed off, you know. Well, and, on, yeah. on
2: the flip side of that, to kind of segue... The, ta- the town people weren't as involved, and which I thought was good, and that might be one reason why the Reverend Moore character just isn't doing it for either of us, but the town people were not as involved as they were last time, yeah. and I thought, and to me, I like that, because I was like, you mean there's not, like, I, I think I might have alluded to it in the last podcast, but I was like, there's not one person who, like, I did. I said, there's not one liberal in this town who <laughs> yeah. is gonna, who is gonna, um, you know, buck the system and cause trouble. There is not one, I, I, you know, and I, like I said, we both said we grew up in small towns in the southeast, and you know, there's always one person who's gonna cause trouble or buck the system or whatever. Or just whatever. go and against I, the grain. I ergo are going against the grain. I just found that really hard to believe in the first movie. And this one, they do like, even his relatives are like, okay, this is kind of stupid, but it's the law. So we just kind of go with,
0: it. right. It's, it's, it is very much more a one man crusade where the last time, yeah. you know, it felt like that Roger, you know, the deacon guy and the mayor mm-hmm. and some other people were more involved in it. This time, it, you know, the mayor, I guess, and the principal have a little bit more of a role here, but even so you can feel, you get the feeling like they were all coerced into, it and for good reason i mean he had his reasons for doing it but that the minister had coerced all these people into going along with this because how are you gonna turn the man down he's the town minister and his son just got killed in a you know bad fiery car wreck i mean it was an explosive car wreck and I, you know i i get how that happened but it is much more around the idea this time of it's the preacher's war against sin in town versus the whole town. And then you introduce this outsider who brings in all this you know, different way of looking at things and doing things. And that, uh, that's okay. me, <coughs> me. I was cool with that addition. I, I liked that too, that that was a change, but it, it, it w- w- aside from Quaid's bad performance, it does weaken and change the character of the Reverend, but uh, you know the the question is, does that damage the film? Because if Ren and Errol can carry it, then you know, we can go. Now we talked about Ren and the changes to the character. We gotta talk about the new actor here though, who is not an actor. Kenny Warmold will tell you he is a professional dancer. I mean, that is what he does. He is a background dancer, a choreographer. That's that they hired him because they wanted a dancer to do the film. You know, they Kevin Bacon did some of his own stuff last time, but he had a lot of dance doubles and things. They wanted one guy that could put out there that could do all the moves and really could match Julian Huff step for step because if you can watch Julian Huff dance, she can dance, and so yeah. they wanted somebody there. And because they had her, and she has such charisma on screen, they needed somebody else to go with it. And I've never seen this guy in anything else, and don't know that I ever will again. But I wanted to get your impressions of Kenny Warmold versus you know Kevin Bacon.
2: I, I mean, I didn't dislike him. And I didn't think his acting was – I didn't really think his acting was that bad. I didn't know that he was – that his main claim to fame was it, until watching this that he, he was a dancer. I knew that they got someone who could dance to kind of not do all the doubles and stuff. And I do think it I, – I do think that kind of helped the performance. Mm-hmm. I, instead of having those long shots of, like, Kevin Bacon and stuff in the – um and the whatever it was, wherever they dig they go. And that, that was one other thing and we'll probably talk about it um um in his angry dance. But <laughs> I, I I thought I thought I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't really think for this movie, I didn't think his acting was that bad for someone who's not typically an actor.
0: You know, I I'll say this. I've seen lots of not actors get thrown into films through the years yeah. just in different things. And His performance is pretty decent. I I think one of the things they did is they seem to have tailored a lot of the personality of the character and the role around him once they got him. Because, you know, Ren's from Chicago in the original script, and that was in there up until they cast him. And they realized this guy is from Boston. He's got the Boston accent. We just need to change it and say he's from Boston because he can't talk like somebody from the Midwest. He's going to sound like. He's from Boston, yeah. and so you know, and so I like that that they gave him that. And you know what? Uh, the thing about him that I really dig that is different, and I think it's because they're playing different characters, different versions of the same character. Kevin Bacon was angry because no one understood him, and nobody wanted to understand him. Kenny Warmlt is angry because there are a few people who pick on him, but mostly because he is hurt. You know, he has been abandoned essentially in Mm -hmm. life and, you know, drug out in the middle of nowhere, Georgia here and can't believe he landed in Hee Haw, basically, you know, and he's just trying to get by. But he also doesn't seem to care like Kevin Bacon was fighting to fit in. He wanted to be on the gymnastics team. He wanted to do this. Kenny Warmore wants to graduate and go away. You know, like he seems to be just over it which I found to be a real interesting way of playing it. And it brought me around to, I remember the first time I saw this, I walked out of it going, that was pretty good, except the new Wren's terrible. And watching it again, a second pass through it, I, I definitely have softened on him and on the performance.
2: Well, I will say, I don't know if this is the right word to describe it, but he, and I mean, it's probably because Kevin Bacon is, is an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he didn't, I will say he didn't have the charisma or this presence maybe instead of charisma that Kevin Bacon did. Agreed. But on that note, going back to what I said about Julianne Huff, um, he also, Kevin Bacon was, is also like six foot tall. Mm-hmm. He, he's a tall, he's a tall, he's a pretty tall guy. And that was one of the complaints I had. Someone that tall would never be on the gymnastics team. Mm-hmm. So he had more of like a presence then I think I think this guy this guy I mean I'm sure being a dancer you're not normally very very tall and he was probably about average height you yeah. know five eight whatever uh but you know Kevin Bacon kinda had a presence and he he had a presence but it was kind of like I don't know kind of like a chihuahua. Well it's like it's like he was <clears throat> He was just kind of like this spunky little thing that bounced from thing to thing or, or bounced around from thing to thing. And I, Like I said, I didn't think his performance was bad. Um, and I don't... but um, But I just don't think he had a presence like Kevin Bacon had, even though I think he had more... Like, it seemed like he had more lines and he talked a lot more than Kevin Bacon did. But I just don't think he had that presence, how to kind of...
0: He's well again, he's not an actor and I don't think and, they uh, and I don't that's think fine. they I don't think they asked him to do too much beyond that. I think the things that again, the thing that I liked about him was the edge he had to himself and the fact that he wasn't going at it alone. It wasn't him versus the world. You know, and I think you couple that with the changes in the aerial character and their dynamic is now very different than it was between Kevin Bacon and Lori Singer. And oh, so, yeah. and that's you know, some of the things we can look at. We've talked about some of this stuff. I think that, you know because the plot is so similar. The way to do this is to just talk about the things that they have changed. And we've talked about the uncle, and we've talked about Ariel, and sort of her, the way she. Goes and does things. Let's talk about the 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 difference in the dare this time with the you know the showdown with Chuck. Last time it was a chicken race with tractors. Well, no, you know you called it out. You didn't believe that at all. You thought that was dumb. It's certainly modern audiences would not go for such a thing. So they had to update this and they come up with the idea that well we'll make Chuck a dirt track racer and it's his dad's track. And if you've ever been to dirt track races, Anna, they always do little stunt races like this where they load up. Yeah old school buses or different things and they race them around each other. And so they come up with this little gang for Chuck and he and Ren are going to race, uh, you know, I guess modded out buses against each other. What did you make of the, uh, the dare at the racetrack?
2: Uh, (laughs) well, it, I will say it was, first off, I know where, I know where this was filmed. I was filmed at I believe it was filmed up in Woodstock at um, Dixie Speedway. Mm-hmm. Cause that is the only, that is the only dirt track I can think of anywhere, <laughs> anywhere within a 50 mile radius. Probably before, until you get to Talladega. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so I know where they filmed it and, i I think that whole sequence is stupid for both movies, but you've gotta have it in there and this one i hate to say it what i don't i don't want to say it, it was not believable I can't even utter those words, yeah. but it was a little more legit maybe because he, you know like you said he was the dirt he was the the race car he was the dirt track racer and i liked also if you notice like instead of like in the first movie where ariel is is um you know up the ariel characters like up straddling the two cars playing chicken you know she gets those red boots on mm-hmm. as a uh, gets those red boots on and then gets up there and just starts um waving the flag and you know Get getting in the cars and, do, and that's kind of her her like wild child scene and right. I think it and it it kind of works and I thought at the end where you know they have their scene between her and Chuck and they're getting it on or whatever I thought that worked a whole lot better and was more linear than the original movie so while this whole the whole thing is stupid but I, I can't even say it's more believable, but the tractor one in the first movie was just so damn stupid. <laughs> I can't, this this is I this is still utterly stupid, but it's still a hundred times better than the stupid tractor in the first one.
0: I'll say this. This one has a lot more action to it. There's a lot more yeah. pieces. It seems like a crazier thing to do. The chicken race one, the the difference for that one to me to this is when we both talked about it, you know, they celebrate Ren as the hero. He's trying to jump off the thing the whole time. Well, this time, Ren's not trying to jump off so much as his brakes fail. And he's just like, screw it. And he just goes right through Chuck, you know, and, and it doesn't hurt anybody or anything. Nobody gets killed, of course, because, you know, that could never be that realistic, right? As all of them would be dead if they pulled this off in real life. But th- I like the fact that he's much more of an active uh pardon this this time, he, even though, you know, his lesson to drive the bus from Willard and and, uh, and the jock, Woody, Woody. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> it's pretty much just a call back to the, the, you know, when they're trying to tell him how to drive the tractor last time. I like, though, that they've centered these things around the racetrack. I'm with you. You know, Ariel straddling the cars last time and then, you know, the chicken race. They didn't seem to come out of nowhere. We set up the racetrack because Ariel's at the racetrack. She sees Chuck win. She jumps in his car. You know, we've set that place up. And so to use it again made sense. And so it was it was an update in that case. What would have been smarter to do? I don't know, have them drag race. But then we're getting into Fast and Furious territory. And I don't think they wanted to go there with these people. So I, I don't I don't know what would have worked. But I was fine with it. I thought it was okay. It was a fun scene. I mean, there's a lot of humor in it, too, because all, each of the buses is like its own little character. You know, it wouldn't even you know, get into his uh, well, sidekicks. Well, but. this
2: time they had more people. I noticed it seemed like they, like, and they did the track. So, yeah, it makes sense to do, okay, let me rephrase. It makes sense to do something that's stupid and idiotic at a dirt track. Right. It makes no sense to do it in the middle of a field with two $20,000 $20, tractors that are per, obviously perfectly good.
0: Right, but, you know, I mean, you can get a used school bus for yeah. 2000 two or $3,000. I know that's a lot of money, okay, and, but that's not I, the end of the world. So I and, I bought that. I thought that was okay.
2: Yeah, and to kind of justify it, it's like, because there were a group like his Cronies or whatever you want to call them, his buddies, and I got and since his dad on the track, I kind of got got the impression that they probably got together and did this like once a week or once yeah, a month. Like, yeah, you know,
0: it's like the, these buses, these buses are built for the demolition. Like that's that's yeah. what they're to do. So it's not as you know, like if if uh, Chuck Cranston's dad's got to pull his twenty thousand dollar tractor out of the ditch, out of the lake, that's a problem. Versus uh, we lost one of the demo buses. You know, that's not that big of a loss, so. Oh, did I lose you?
2: No, I'm here. Oh,
0: okay, okay. It's just not that big of a loss or whatever. You know, they also, they changed a little bit of it this time, though, too, because the whole setup is the same. Ariel comes and tells him at his job, you know, I volunteered, all that stuff or whatever. But she definitely seems to pick a side in the race this time. You know, last time Errol was sort of reluctant to even admit she liked Ren, and that was sort of a turning point this time. I felt like she, she liked him anyway. And the fact that he won was just icing on the cake. Yeah. I guess,
2: I ge- I, ge- I guess it, it kind of felt the same to me from the other movie.
0: Okay. Well they did right after this though is when they do the whole setup at school thing again with the, the drugs. I scene. really
2: don't know. Hmm? Oh no, I thought you were talking about the um the tractor. I don't know. I'm getting yeah, confused. No, no, no. Start
0: no over again. Okay. Well, right after that though, they go to the whole setup at the school thing again where, you know, some burnout. Tries to offer Ren some drugs. Uh, uh, oh, I
2: really, I really like that because that dude was <laughs> such a stoner. Whereas the uh, the kid in the first movie was not a typical stoner.
0: And that one we've come to know as them. This is true. Yeah, this guy was yeah. definitely. I think this guy definitely thought he was in an American Pie film. You know, for the five minutes he's on screen. But I don't know. Uh, I liked it. I like the fact that the prince oh, goes at him, and I like the fact that. Um, how Ren stands up to the principal. I, that, that to me was a different scene. Kevin Bacon would have never said that. He'd just shut up and take it. Uh, I right. like this one is not going to just sit there and take it.
2: But he was so much of a s- smart aleck.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He,
2: this one is, he's just kind of so much of a smart aleck yeah. that it, you'd expect him. He, you know, he's just as kind of spunky as Julianne Huff.
0: Well, I think that's one thing that that they've done well is getting somebody that can match her charisma on the screen. Whether he's an actor or not, he definitely can do that. And they even drop it. You know, they talk about his Yankee sarcasm. I think that's it. He's just sarcastic. He's wisecracking all the time. And I like that, though. It gave him something. But it, it leads to the same end. Unlike the last time where his uncle sort of betrays him in the living room, basically, and he goes off and has the angry dance. This time it's at the school. And he goes off to have the angry dance. So what'd you make of the angry dance the second time around? Well, I
2: was, I was glad there was a little less (laughs) self-satisfaction, (laughs)
1: self-satisfaction.
2: It it didn't, yeah, self-satisfaction. It didn't, it didn't, I didn't get like he was like in the first one I'm like okay is this some kind of symbolism for masturbating
1: yeah but
2: but um or self-gratification but this honestly this one he looked angry because he's he's he does the talking before where he's kind of yelling at everything and he's angry and like some of his moves were like martial arts moves
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: like he's trying to fight somebody and so I kind of and there wasn't so many of the gymnastics there were a couple but there weren't so many of the gymnastics moves as it was last time Mm -hmm. so I kind of got that this this was this was angry because he was yelling and telling well, us why he was angry. Well, and then I, I, I like
0: doing the martial arts stuff. I like that. He's repeating lines from conversations he's had with people. And he's, he's, you know, taking them in the, in the most negative way. You know, he's just be he's actually being angry. This character is not a gymnast. You know, Kevin Bacon was a, you know, his character was a gymnast. This guy is a dancer, you know, and he likes to dance and he's talked about his dancing prowess and stuff. But moreover right now, he's just really pissed off. And I like the fact that he he dances like somebody who's really pissed off. Sometimes it looks really good, and sometimes <laughs> it's just spastic and weird. It
2: is, you know, but, like
0: but that's much more believable, up. is what I say. Like nobody goes and has a choreographed moment, you know, for themselves. Maybe you go to practice or something to do that, but you don't go to some empty warehouse you've never been in and figure that out. You go and do what this guy did, and he just wigs out for about five minutes, and I I like and- that.
2: And I thought it was funny when um, Ariel catches him Mm -hmm. and she's like, what was all that? That, Yeah. (laughs) That was the... I like that part. I was like, okay, that's I, pretty. Cool.
0: I think I think those again. That's the screenwriters going. We know. We know. We're even going to poke fun at, for, at ourselves because you know the thing is, is I think when that scene was done and when it came out of the '80s, people were like affected by it. They're like, oh wow, what a you know dark moment or whatever. Now it's been parodied so many times now that nobody takes it seriously anymore so if you're going to do that in this one and you got to have that because again they're they're slamishly retelling so much of this you got at least call it out and and ariel's character at this time would not be the kind of person that would just sort of walk up on him and start flirting with him she'd go i don't know what that was but that was scary dude and 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 she lays it on him like you think you're alone in this town come on but then she's, oh, yeah. she's using the same lines, true. but it's much more sarcastic, and I kind of like that this time.
2: Well, well, and I think she does. I, I, I get you know with like the closer stuff. It's I will say this, and it's the same thing with something like from Texas or or somewhere like that. But it is really hard to do a Southern accent. Yes. That, and especially if you live down here or you have lived down here. It is, really hard to, it is really hard to do a Southern accent unless you live down here. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a lot easier to get rid of one than to do one. And so that was something um, I, I liked because Lori Singer didn't really have a Southern accent. It oh, she tried, like but she was, did.
0: it was terrible. Yeah, she tried. It was, but...
2: it was bad, but for the most part, Julianne Huff pulled, pulled it off. It's, I'm not saying she did the greatest job, but she... She, you believe, she, she talked a little slower. She, she, she labored everything a little bit. And I was just like, oh, everybody has eyes. And, you know, it kind of, you know, it kind of went with her. She kind of worked with it and it kind of made her a little more, a little more likable.
0: Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I agree. I think the fact that she is just as sarcastic as he is. This mm-hmm. time works because instead of being so different and then they find their common ground, these people are very similar to one another. They just grew up in different places. That's the feeling I get this time.
2: And that's kind of what she tells him when uh-huh. they, they go in that room where they have all the work, the books they weren't supposed to read, blah, 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 and the um, right. lyrics and stuff. She it, it, and she does a good – and I don't know if it's the I, – I, I don't know if I could – I might be totally missing it and sound like an idiot, but I don't know if she's doing it verbatim, but
0: it's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty
2: close. Mm-hmm. And she's um, saying, well, I'm not small town. I've applied, I've applied to colleges and you kind of, you know, you kind of get that from her and I, she's kind of opening up a little bit more. You well, believe we, we,
0: we both said it and I'm just going to say it now, as this film goes on, it becomes very evident how much better an actress Julianne Hough is than Lori Singer. Lori Singer would yeah. say that stuff like, I've a colleges," You know, like that's supposed to be some big surprise or whatever. And Julianne Hust is like, look, I'm getting out of here. Like it's much more determined. You believe it in a way. And yeah. and she and I think you've nailed it. She's very believable in this role. And and so is the, the guy. So is Kenny Warmall. That the thing that they're doing and what I found myself doing the first time I watched this and then even this time watching it. With a reviewer's eye on it, as I found myself getting lost in it, you can get lost in these two kids because they have such presence on screen, and they just they bring you in. You just want and a lot of it's in their eyes. I don't know what the, what the direction was, if that was part of it, or it's just what they bring to the characters. But they did so much with the way they looked at each other and the way they changed looks from scene to scene. I was really impressed with all of that. Oh, oh,
2: I was too, and I think and. I don't know if it you know, maybe the maybe the trouble with the first movie was that the aerial character was not that strong and maybe that's what you needed, a stronger and, and like I say, I'm not saying Julianne Huff is like the greatest actress no. ever. Don't get me wrong, but what I'm probably really saying is Laurie Singer was that bad.
0: Well, I, you know what? I think what what, you've come, what we can come to learn is that not only Laurie Singer's performance wasn't always there, I don't think the character was well done. I don't think they understood how to write that kind of a female character in 1982, 83. I'll just be honest with you. And I think we've seen strong female characters in lots of different places now for years. Whoa. And, 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 and you've also got an actress that has grown up seeing those and seeing that kind of thing on the small screen, the big screen and stuff. So she's going to play it differently. And the thing that they have figured out in the time in between is how to write for somebody like that, how to not make her seem small town, you know, how to make her seem like she's got a head on her own shoulders. She can think for herself. She can be strong. And she's also incredibly vulnerable. That's the part of this that, that gets me is I never thought Lori Singer would be scared of anybody because she looked crazy half the time. Anyway, Julian hub, I can believe is inside hurt and scared and not sure what to do. And all of this is just bravado.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah. She's, she's completely, she's completely believable, but I think a lot of it alludes, it goes back to, like I said, at the very beginning where they, where they go and they explain the whole accident, even Ren like looks at the pictures and mm-hmm. stuff. Cause they have this memorial. And I mean, I went to a small town high school in the Southeast and when people died, there were the, mo- you know, we had the memorials for like 10 years mm-hmm. or something. So, I mean, I, to- I I, I like that part of it, kind of setting that up. And then, they use the part where in the first movie she's like oh yeah i don't like this bridge because it's where my brother died you know where um where they set it up and she kind of opened it's kind of like she's opening up about her brother and mm-hmm. you know that they were cl- they were really close and stuff like, and stuff like that mm-hmm. so i really liked how they did that and i think that added to the character and it added to kinda of how she how she played play how she played the character too.
0: No, I agree. I think that all those are, are levels that weren't there last time because the biggest thing is that they've shown us what the traumatic experience was. I think showing us versus telling us has and made a huge difference in the way that this this plot unfolds.
2: And that's why I think in that showdown scene with um with um her Sorry. dad.
0: Oh yeah, with the. No, with the her dad yeah. with her
2: mm-hmm. with the reverend. I think that's why and Julian Julianne had played it angry. Mm-hmm. Like I you could tell she was angry and this was like she had been kind of keeping it in and all this kind of uh, promiscuity and stuff was was her acting out on that anger and that sorrow. And I liked and she, I liked the line she had. She was like I've been lost. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, yes, that is what you would say at church to your father who is a preacher, right? And you know, and she act, you know, she 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 did that. <clears throat> and I thought that was so much more believable than because you don't really get because they don't set it up in the first part in the first movie that 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 Laurie Singer's really hurt. Right so they no, don't set know, that up. They
0: set her up to be a whore. Let's just and then, say it. And she, you Julian yeah, and Hufserl is not that way.
2: No, and she saying so, you know when so when she's at church she's just acting crazy she's just acting crazy or it comes across as crazy and unbelievable because they haven't set us up with this backstory that they did in this movie.
0: Right. The only thing they gave us was the the slap scene. It's in it's in the same scene now. It was in two different scenes before. She goes out. They go out for the night in the town. And in the first one, you know, they come back and her dad and her have this whole thing at the kitchen table. And then the the showdown at the church later on after, you know, the fight with Chuck and all that. And this one, they've... They've combined some of that to make it flow a little bit quicker. She gets in. Well, first off, they go out on a night on the town in Kennesaw. That's not far from where you work. You tell me you drive by this bar all the time.
2: Yes, I did. When I go the back <laughs> way, when I don't take the interstate, I drive. I drive by it all the time. It was. It's now called Electric Cowboy. Mm-hmm. It was. It was Cowboys, and then it went out. It was. Empty for a long. It, I don't know. Empty, but it was closed for a long time, and now it's Electric Cowboy, which I'm assuming is the. So it's the, assuming it's the same thing. So yeah,
0: Looks looks very similar, but I, you I, know, it, the the scene's the same, except this time they get involved in line dancing. Which,
2: okay. Now this yeah. scene, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go.
0: Okay. I'm gonna say this.
2: <clears throat> I, I hate to say it, mm-hmm. even though the dancing is so much better because the two leads are actual dancers. Right. But who the hell line dances
0: anymore? That's what I wanted to know. You I thought, don't. I thought don't, that no. was over years ago. <laughs>
2: and then another, I'm gonna say this. This is gonna this is gonna sound horrible, and you can cut it out. But it shows them driving into downtown Atlanta. Yeah. You're not going to a cowboy bar if you're driving <laughs> downtown Atlanta. I mean, there yeah. are. I'm. I, there are. I'm not gonna pinpoint one type of bar you could go to, but if you're driving in downtown towards downtown Atlanta, you could be going not only to like a normal club or a hip hop bar or a strip club or a drag show or or a number of other things that are so far removed from a cowboy. All the cowboy clubs are out in the suburbs.
0: Yes, yeah, that's the thing that got me is they play this off like they're trying to drive into Atlanta here. And, I, and I'm, I'm like, look, I, everyone who knows anything about Atlanta, if you've been to it at all, Atlanta is nothing like the rest of the state of Georgia. And it hasn't been for a long time. It's not rural, it's not southern, and it doesn't want to be. I'm with you. I, I thought... No, you would not be going there. You go to Athens and you could find the Cowboy Kicker Bar, probably not in Atlanta. But I uh, guess the geography, they knew they couldn't pull that off. So.
2: Well, I mean, it's all like like Cowboys is out where I work in Kennesaw. They have mm-hmm. another one. I'm not sure if it's still open, but Wild Bills yeah. and out in Gwinnett. So yeah. they're both north of the city, just two different interstates. Right. Yeah. Like
0: you said, they're in the suburbs. They're not in Atlanta proper. Yeah.
2: If you're going into Atlanta, you're going
0: to the Cheetah. Yeah, exactly. But the but the scene plays the same way. It's all for the same thing. The line dancing notes to me, I thought, no one does this anymore. I don't. Nobody know this. does this.
2: Yeah. It may, now, I did like, I was on the note of the line dancing. And did you notice that they did the hero song as a country version?
0: Yes, I did. And that was funny.
2: Oh, I well, I like country music. So I actually was, I was actually, I'm gonna be a total dork, and I was actually digging the. I'm like, I like this so much better. We're we're
0: gonna we're gonna talk about that when we get to that final scene because I got words to say about what Blake Shelton does with that Footloose song. But we're gonna get to that. You just hold that thought. So, but um, but it's all the same means to an end, right? It's the same. Yeah. Willard can't dance. He can kind of fight. You know, how about this? We haven't even talked about this. How about the fact that Willard and Rusty are not two white kids dating each other? That's that's a modern update, right?
2: Yeah, I I guess, but I I will say this for this kind of area in Georgia, it's it's not. It, I just don't blink an eye. It's not that uncommon. It's not that.
0: That's what I was going to ask you because even where I still live, it's still sort of uncommon. So you at least notice uh-huh. it. A little bit no, more, but, but
2: I have, so, yeah. I have so, so many. I mean, I have so many um, kids at my kids' school and daycare, and I have friends and stuff. It yeah. it is like it. I don't even. I mean, I thought- maybe when I was in a small town growing up, but. I don't even blink
0: an eye, oh see, I still live in the small college town, so I think that's part of part of it for me, but I will admit that's something that a modern audience, particularly the target audience for this, wouldn't blink at at all, and so it's only for old folks yeah. like me that to, to notice it but i did yeah. I did think it was neat though the way they played that, and that the fact that they never talk about it, and that to me yeah. was the thing that I thought was smart if they' are going to do that. But th- it's all the same means to me. Like I said, it's, you know, it, it brings Errol and, and, uh, Ren closer together. She goes to break it off with Chuck. They still have the same, basically the same fight. He still punches her and kicks her. She beats the crap out of his truck and he nearly runs her over. And then, then she goes to the church, like, you know, goes to her mom. Her mom's with her at the church while it's raining. She's beat the hell and her and her dad get into it. And that's where he smacks her right there. I kind of like the fact that they condensed all of that down to those couple of scenes instead of stretching it out over three or four like it was in the first film.
2: Well, I think, like I said before, it made it was more linear. It made more sense to do mm-hmm. that, and it was it was more believable than why she was so so angry. And it can't, you know, everything. It was like when he told her. Ren did this, it was like they both had, and even in Dennis Quaid's really horrible performance, mm-hmm. um, they both had kind of reached their boiling points at that point. Everything had kind of come to a head at that point. And I thought that this was just so much, this was just so much more believable than burning the books. And then he has an epiphany.
0: Right. No, I agree. And, can I say this though. And I've, I've dinged his performance. This is the best part of Dennis Quaid's performance is this scene in the church. Yes, with with by when, far. He, when he's angry and she's angry. And you've already called out some of the things that she says that makes it more believable. I think he reacts more, more. I don't want to say more believable because I love the way Lithgow played that last time. It was such a strong, strong scene. But this is cool. the best scene Quaid gives. And you totally get why he has wanted to take this kind of control in people's lives. He's scared, too. Just for a, you know, he's the scared parent, you know, who doesn't want to lose another kid, and he's just, um, what am I trying to say? Trans not transposing, but he's projecting that on everyone else around him, including his own family, and he's missing the fact that his daughter is lost in all of this, and that the way, you know, the way she says it, it really hits home. The look on his face and the look on Andy McDowell's face too. I mean, again, the the face acting in this film is amazing. They both just look like, really? Like, they like it was a total surprise to them to hear her say something like that.
2: Well, the other thing I did like, to go back to Andy McDowell's character, who, she's also from the South, so she does a mm-hmm. real Southern, <laughs> she actually does a real Southern accent.
1: Yeah, she just talks um, normal, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. But I like that in that scene, she was in there. Because mm-hmm. to me, that's more of what... It, from my perspective that is more of what parents would do i don't think that like in the first movie where she confronted her dad on her on her own right you know it's kind of like but they kind of did this as a family and i kind of like that the parents were aware of it was it was kind of like the catalyst like okay something's wrong with our like they've been ignoring it ignoring it ignoring it and then something's wrong okay something's wrong with our little girl let's fix it. And then she's like, no, that's not the way to fix
0: it. Yeah. And I don't just want you to fix it. I up. want you to pay attention to me. Yeah. And, I, th- and so, I think that's the thing that, that hits. I'm with you though. It's good that they're both there because both parents would be there nowadays.
2: Yeah. Instead of just one. And I do like one, th- one thing that I didn't catch in the first movie. So, but where her, where Andy McDowell's like, he tries to run after her after she makes some smart alecky remark. And her her mom's like, no, I've got it. And that, that is what, you, I, I mean, I, I have small girls and I do that with my husband all the time. I'm like, no, let me handle it. This is my, you know, this is the mom's job. You're not gonna make the situation any better. I know right. you want to, and I know you mean well, but you're there being an emotional little girl and you just need to back up and let me, you know, let me handle it for a minute. but. Um, that's what I thought was really, I liked that both of them were in there. And then after that, she does the whole scene, you know, where I bit my tongue and blah, 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 blah.
0: Mm-hmm. I I think the thing too, is in Diane Weist played a different kind of minister's wife, you know, mm-hmm. the very demure, very quiet. And she, that's just her kind of her personality. Anyway, very mou-
2: very yeah. mousy. Yes.
0: And Andy McDowell is anything but that. You know, as as a character, as an actress, and, and really, she doesn't even play it like that in the film so far. And you get that she's like, look, I know my place and things, but uh, the, the scene that they have is totally different than the, the other parents. And I was okay with that because, again, I think they don't get a lot together. They don't focus on the parents much in this film. And so the one good scene they get together, I actually liked here. I thought, I thought she did really well. well and Quay did a good job of just sort of shutting up and, and listening at that point.
2: Well, there's something else I did like in regard that. I think that they did at the very beginning, you know, at the very beginning of the first movie, she's sitting there painting her nails with her friends, not listening to the hellfire and brimstone. Her dad's preaching right in the pulpit and you don't, see her mother and her father together till the next scene when they're outside the church and stuff but if you notice in this one she is sitting next she is sitting next to her mother in church which is right. a little uh, which is more well, typical
0: well, to me it, Of the other thing is too we don't see them in in church much like that they, they don't play it plays totally different you know the whole he is testing us sermon the first time was the preacher backing up his stance and the town's stance on why they do the way they do. He is testing us this time is what the you get the idea that's what he's saying at his son's funeral. You know, and, right. and and that's a totally different dynamic. It plays completely different this time. And so when they they're at church, you're right, they're sitting as family together. There's a lot more togetherness versus the, you know, the wild child who's just trying to ignore everything and, you know, paint her nails.
2: Well in the The movie from the the Kevin Bacon movie in that first scene that he is testing us, you get, and I mean, maybe it's the way John Lithgow played it, but you feel like he's a tyrant, you know, he's a tyrant, and because we don't have the backstory about the, um, about the accident until much later in the movie, and, um, you know, and it's just kind of like he's a tyrant, and it's just one of these evangelical, totally crazy, Towns that everybody's bought into this and then and you get that and what I got from the first movie is that she's just wanting I mean you get that she wants out right but you but what you don't get is is how how she plans to get out. It's just kind of like
0: she leave. wants out. Yeah, I just want to yeah. leave.
2: I don't care if this train runs over yeah, me. She, i she, she just leaving. Does,
0: she does that whole I, I memorize bus schedules thing, you know, right? You don't get that out of Julianne Huff's.
2: Yeah, where part. Julianne Huff her character seems to have more of a plan. Like mm-hmm. she tells them, she's like, I'm not small town. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to college. I want this town in my rear view mirror so bad I can taste it is basically what she says. Right. And, um, you, you kind of get, okay, she has a plan. She has a logical plan and she is just kind of rebelling and kind of having fun and living her life till she gets the hell out of Dodge. Right. And, um, you know, with, with the first one, you kind of get that he's this tyrant. And even when they're dancing at the, um, the um whatever it's called the 80s the drive-in or whatever um once even when they're dancing there and he comes up on her you just get that almost he's like this you don't get that he's in mourning till the very end i think with what dennis quaid did with his speech that he is testing us like you said you you picture him preaching that at a funeral Mm -hmm. at his son's funeral And I think he, I think we get that he is in mourning and that is why the town is like, like that, which isn't as much as we dogged his performance. That isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I still think he's too nice of a guy to play that.
0: No, I I think again, he's, he's got, he's just not the kind of person that can carry the gravitas of what that, that character is supposed to feel, but they don't write him that way either. And that works. And that's why the, you know, the last part of this film or the third act For me, it's kind of a blur because, you know, he and the Reverend still talk, but that that talk doesn't seem nearly as meaningful as like when Kevin Bacon and John Lithgow were related to each other. It seems like they've come to some sort of common ground. We get that scene earlier, you know, when he goes to confront the uncle and the uncle puts him in his place. Like, maybe you need to bother to talk to the kid before you just judge him, Reverend, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I I. I don't know. It just doesn't feel the same in the town council meeting, you know, Ren's speech and stuff. It's not nearly as impactful, but I don't think it's supposed to be. I think, you know, he already kind of feels like this is a lost cause. You know, last time you could almost buy that maybe they'll change the town's mind. And this time there's no way, you know, you just feel like this is a, this is a waste of time and they feel like they're doing it. And my question to you is, did they need to recreate that again? Or could they have just said, look, we're just going to have the dance in Basin because it's right over there. And we just skip the whole town council, shoot me down. Let me come up with random scripture to read and try to convince you otherwise.
2: Um, you know, I kind of feel the same as I feel about the tractor slash demolition <laughs> derby. I I, I I get that they they <laughs> I get that they need something like this to move the plot along because they need. I mean, it would be very anticlimactic, I think, to get to just uh to, for the Reverend to just be like, okay, you have my blessing. Let's have a Let's have a prom in the gym. Yay, mm-hmm. you know, all of them get together. Okay, you got, you've got you got our blessing. But, um, you know, I think think that, I guess maybe it's
0: like the other scene. It's a necessary evil. Yeah, I, 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 See, I'm not saying I wanted them to relent. I just wanted the kids to go, why are we even bothering with this? We can just do this over here in the south of the town, and we're going to do it. And and we're going to do it and we're not going to it's not going to be a free for all and we're not going to have a problem. And that there's there seems to be enough adult support outside of the reverend and the principal and mayor and such that they could just go and do it anyway. And nobody would blink two eyes. Whereas the other time, like the only adult on Wren's side was the old cowboy he worked with at the mill. You know, so this time he doesn't need anybody's approval. Then neither does the rest of the senior class. That's what I'm saying. Because yeah. the, because they've made some of the adults on the side of the kids this time, and that's a good thing. It undermines what this scene is supposed to be. In that last film, that's the emotional climax of the film. Because so
2: what I think, yeah. I think would have been a better scene would be to have the adult, and it would be more realistic in this day and age than it would have been in you know nineteen eighty four. Mm-hmm. But to have the parents and the adults stand up and say, okay, well, and stand behind their kids and say, okay, this law is stupid. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't lift it, we're just going to go over to Basin and do it.
1: That's a great idea. You
2: you know, to me, that would have been more climatic. That would have been, you know, they just stand up and say, you know, once the council shoots the kids down, say, you know what, we're going to stand, you know what, we're going to, we're going to go over and maybe have the guy that works at the mill say, look, I'll, I'll give you, you know, like you did in the first one, I'm going to give them this and maybe have Ren's aunt and uncle say something, even have the reverend's wife stand up right. and say, I'm going to support this. And then if you shoot it down, that's fine. We're going to support it. I think that would have been better for this movie than the the doing it exactly like the first one because it's yeah. it's these aren't the same kids this isn't the same time
0: frame mm-hmm. so i mean no i i agree I, completely i think we're we're saying the same thing because they've set the town up the way they have this time they uh-huh. needed to play more of a role in this it didn't need to be Ren versus the council again because again there's no weight to anything he says like it doesn't when Kevin Bacon is rattling all that off and, and doing mm-hmm. all that, you get the sense that he's incredibly nervous. He doesn't like to do it. And he's really out of his element. This kid seems to be fine, you know, up there doing it. And, and that to me, again, there's no there's no weight to it. And it's not that it's bad. They, they acted it fine. It's just, again, it's, it's another one of those moments where I feel like they are slavishly trying to recreate something that they had once when what they needed to do was what the instinct had been on other parts. Just reinvent it. A little bit. And since they had yeah. already set it up, you and I have both rewritten the scene for him here. I mean, it, it, it's based off what they've already done. That's that's how that should have played. But the, the rest of the film
1: work,
0: <laughs> works out eerily similar to the last one. We still have to have the last fight with Chuck, which I've wondered last time, why do we need to do that again? And look, Kevin Bacon probably could kick that dude's butt in a, in a fight, depending on how it went. I, I'm sorry. Th- that guy would break no. Hormel all in half. I'm, and, and his friend too. There's no way on earth that was that was going to be a good fight. Woody, uh, the kid that played Woody. Now he could probably he's a linebacker looking guy. He could probably take them all out. But oh, those two yeah. kids, no way they're going to fight a couple of racetrack greasers. No way.
2: The only thing they could have done was outrun
0: them. Yeah, exactly. And maybe they should have. (laughs) That would have been the thing like, okay, we're all on the porch. Y'all come on up. And then they do the roadhouse and they just shut the door. (laughs) You know, that would have been funny. Cause I don't think kids go, go out and rumble in the yard like that. It's just not how it goes. That it felt like, again, we're trying to do something for the eighties that didn't need to be done again. I was done with Chuck. I think we all were. So,
2: well, I mean, why did he, I'm sorry. That the scene, the scene in the first movie, I'm not, I I'm not advocating violence for women. Mm -hmm. I'd like to make that preface, (laughs) but I'd like to make that disclaimer. But in the first movie, while it was wrong, mm-hmm. it was um like he he I, I don't want to say just slapped her a couple of times, but he 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 did. He slapped her a couple of times. And this one, even the scene was a little more brutal, even mostly because I think. Ariel got into it a little more, you yeah. know, was like, the, fighting the fight, back a
0: yeah, more. the fight between her and Chuck is much more violent this time.
2: It's much more violent. And then she's actually hurt and they show it. And that's part yeah. of the scene with her dad and stuff. So there was no point in even bringing him back and doing a fight.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't need it either. I think, you know, he was, yeah.
2: all, he was already, he already beat her up. That's already a loser. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so, so there was no point.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like there was no reason for them to go back and redo all that, but they, they need to, because again, it gives, it gives one last little beat. And then we go back and it's the same problem. Nobody's dancing until Ren shows up. Right. And, and then they get into the you know footloose dance. And I said a few minutes ago, I was going to bring it back up for the most part. I've liked the way they've worked the soundtrack here. It's been a good mix of old tunes, new tunes, a lot of country tunes, Stuff like that. I'm, I'm digging some of it. But the Blake Shelton as the choice to do Footloose is flat out the wrong choice. That is a twangy, awful performance of, of a good rocking tune. I oh. hate it. Oh.
2: Well, i must going say two, uh, two things on that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say two things on that. To me, as a fan of country music, Blake Shelton is very hit or miss. Mm -hmm. He either does something I really, really like, or he does something that I just absolutely cannot stand. And there are some things that he's done that at the beginning, I'm like, I cannot stand it, won't listen to it. Then I get used to it. I'm like, Oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I really like it. But, and then the other thing I'm going to say as a fan of country music, and I was actually having this conversation with my um, husband, this, um, um, Oh shoot. Um, my recording will be on and off for my sound recorder because um because something keeps hitting my oh, dang it, it did it again. Something keeps hitting my um I
0: it's I guess, o- it's okay. I have the Skype recorder, so just finish your thoughts.
2: So. Okay. But anyway, I'm just gonna that just hit my brain. But anyway, um what I was gonna say is that Country music, you can turn a country song into a rock song. Right. And you can turn a rock song into a country song. They kind of have that same tempo or whatnot.
0: You just kind of... They kind of have that... Sometimes you can, yeah.
2: Sometimes you just can kind of take this, But it's... Unless you're Taylor Swift, it's really hard to turn a country song into a pop song. And it's even harder to turn a pop or a hip-hop song into a
0: country song.
2: And this... And Footloose was a pop
0: song. Yes, I agree. You cannot... Kenny Loggins is a pop singer. Yes, that is a pop tune. You're exactly right. It is right. A,
2: a pop song. The hero song that that's a ballad. It's yes. slow. You can turn a ballad into a country song. Well, well can... the,
0: the thing, the thing, the Bonnie Tyler song was written by Jim Steinman, and it's the guy, the, the guy who made Meatloaf for this. So it's overly emotional and it's big. And the fact that they took that and turned it into a, a, a raw acoustic tune was a nice twist. Like that worked on a lot of levels. That's kind of cool. That's a thing you see a lot of people do nowadays. But this is, you take a pop tune and you essentially remake the pop tune with fiddles and you get the twangiest guy you can yeah. to sing it. And it just does not play. And, I, you know, the thing is, they had used the original song in the opening scene. And my mm-hmm. thought is, I guess they just felt like they needed to update it. They couldn't have found somebody else to update this. They couldn't have gotten a pop artist to do it. I mean, really? There's well, not... I
2: mean, you can get country artists who aren't, who aren't that twangy. Like Blake, right. Blake
0: Shelton's really, okay. Better yet. Really really why, you, why wouldn't you get someone like Taylor Swift to try to do this? Hell, she probably would have done it. So, and it yeah, would have worked because her sound, it would have worked for Blake Sheldon. Uh, I, eh, I was going to, I was
2: going to say, um, um, oh God, I think someone I don't even know if they could have pulled it off. um, they might not have done any good because they're still kind of twangy, but they have a hipper beat is um
0: Florida Georgia line, yes, yeah, so they might group like that, yeah, they might. Wow.
2: Luke Bryan might have pulled it off because he does those real high high energy songs, yeah, and real fast kind of tempo. And and he's not he's twangy, but he and it would have been a good tie-in because like Florida Georgia Line and Luke Bryan, they're from Georgia,
0: right? Yeah, and
2: that that would have been a good tie-in, I think. But uh, maybe maybe they couldn't get Luke Bride. Maybe he was too. I can't imagine him being more expensive than Blake Shaw. Oh, I,
0: I think they spent money on the soundtrack again. I, it's the one knock on the soundtrack that I'm going to make, and it, it's a bad one because to me, it just it makes this last scene, which is already desperately trying to be the other film, you know, uh, but, feel very weird. You know,
2: but, but I think they could have got. There's so many country artists that have, like, kind of a pop... Besides Taylor Swift. Right. That have kind of a pop... But I mean, for crying out loud, Florida Georgia Line pulled off a duet with Nelly.
0: Well, you uh, look, even somebody like Tim McGraw could have done the, you know, Footloose. Yeah, but you he's,
2: not, he's not as... Twi- he's not as 20. What they should have done is gotten someone... Um, I w- I w- They should have gotten someone, and I'm not... Even though he's from the East Coast. They should have got. I hate to say, like, East Coast, West Coast rapper, <laughs> But... There is a difference. There's a difference in in people like people like Tim McGraw, Luke Bryan, Kenny Chesney. And Kenny Chesney's kind of twangy, but not like Blake Shelton. Kenny um, Chesney
0: can be rock and roll too, though. So, yeah, he could yeah. pull it. He
2: could. He maybe could have pulled it off. But people like oh, they,
0: they, they, I'm sure they couldn't have afforded him. But.
2: <laughs> yeah, they couldn't have afforded him. Kenny- but that they're you know they're very East. They're on this southeast, eastern seaboard kind of Eric, but Eric Church, when it pulled it off, he's a little twangy, but I like him. He's, he's southern. Rock. He's,
0: he's a little, he's a little different too. He's kind of he he's, like,
2: he's more like a Hank Williams Jr. It's, type, but
0: exactly.
2: But if you go over into Oklahoma and Texas, you got like Blake Shelton, Toby Keith stuff like that, they, they've they got, the, there's this really twangy sound with, and uh, George Strait. There's
0: a, there's yeah, a, there's there's just a different sound a different from the, sound. the ones from the West. You're right, you're right.
2: Yeah, so. and it's not anything, and that's just my country, they're my, my geekdom into country music. It's not one is better and one is worse. They all work with different different things, but they should have gotten somebody, like like, from the East Coast. Like, they're just they're just not quite as twangy. I mean yeah. Tim across well, from Louisiana, he's not as twangy.
0: Well, yeah, true, true. But the the point is that it pretty well ends the same the same way as before and then we're we dance the night away and boom we're done. And and I think we're we've exhausted it too at this point, Anna, so it's time to give our final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for the two thousand eleven version of Footloose?
2: I hate to do it, but I, I and I'll say this and I'll probably get crucified, but I absolutely hated the first one. (laughs) I hated it. It was, that was two hours of agony. I absolutely positively hated that movie. And I was so dreading watching this one, but I went in with really low expectations, apparently. So I was pleasantly surprised. So I will give it a small popcorn with extra butter because number one, I like how they, um, they threw in a Georgia bulldog reference. Did you catch that? I did. Yeah. Um, and, um, I liked, and it's filmed out here where I live and it looks like where I live and it reminds me of the college (laughs) students. I I see every day. In fact, my student assistant had to go pick up her drunk um, roommate from Electric Cowboy one night. So, um, so I I actually kind of liked it and I, I, I don't know if I could go medium. It's like between a small and a medium. Well, like, like,
0: keep keep in mind, keep in mind before you finish your thought here, cause you may want to, I mean, this small is for like absolutely bad film. Oh, okay. So. I'll go
2: with, I'll go with the meat. I'm stingy with my popcorn. <laughs> I'll go I will give this a medium, but I, I won't give it extra
0: butter. I I, I will say, yeah, your stinginess with the popcorn ratings is nothing new to anybody that listened to the Batman <laughs> shows. So, and then I'll leave
1: it
2: I, I will say the Batman were, a whole, well, maybe not Batman and Rob. Ra- Batman and Robin, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, well, but. no,
0: that deserves everything, all all the hate it gets. But, but you you still your your uh your ratings of Dark Knight still shock most of the listening world. But you know, hey, you're entitled to your opinion too. So, you know what, Anna? For me, this one. I really have struggled on how I wanted to rate it because, like I said, the first time I saw it, I walked out of it going, Well, that was pretty good, but I didn't really like the kid that got to play Wren. Then the second time watching it, I'm like, Yeah, I kind of like him. It's not Kevin Bacon, and Dennis Quaid's not John Lithgow, but boy, Julianne Huff's really good, and it's kind of fun. And, uh, you know, they, they stick way too close to the original script sometimes, but that's not always so bad. I mean, I'm kind of in the middle with it. I'm going to ultimately say medium popcorn. But like the good side of medium popcorn, not the day old, you know, stale stuff. I think it's it's pretty entertaining. And I'll say this, if you're a fan of the original and you've never bothered with this, you should at least give it a swing because I think you'll find things to like here. And if you're like Anna and you didn't like the first one, try this one out. It may be way more your size than that last one. And I'll say this now. That first one is incredibly dated. It's almost 30 years old. How can it not be? It's incredibly dated, and I I know it is, and... I like it for what it what it was, because I think a lot of times I'll watch it with a bit of nostalgia. I remember how it made me feel when I first saw it and all that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't sit here and, and argue about every point that you don't like about it. I agree with everything you say about it in your critiques. I just happen to dig it. This one is much easier to swallow and easier to go down. And I think it's a it's a fun time. And I do think the Julianne Huff performance in a lot of ways is what carries it. I think she's really good in this. And, and I can't say that about everything I've seen her in. Sometimes I see her and stuff and she's just not so great. Uh, but this time I think they really did well casting her and I think it worked well. So I'm going to give it a, a medium popcorn, two and a pretty strong one i liked it and thought it was a good time so well we have finished our footloose retrospective thank goodness there's not footloose two electric boogaloo to, to look forward to right so uh we'll uh have to see what we can catch up with on the next side but folks you can always find more episodes of our podcast series things that we've referenced on this show earlier at our website com slash movies You can also hook up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the podcast. Till next time, for Anna, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for joining us for Filmstrip's Footloose series. You know what else we could do? We could could start
1: winning our nightclubs right there in the church, huh? (laughs) That's it, man. Dance! We could have a dance!
0: All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and is used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.